Welcome to Cordell and Cordell's Men's Divorce Podcast, moderated by managing partner and CEO Scott Trout, bringing you information for guys before, during, and after divorce, and everything related to family law. This podcast is not to be taken as legal advice, and no attorney-client relationship is established. Welcome to uh, the first of a new series in the Cordell and Cordell series. Uh, This show, this series of shows, we're going to talk about the financial implications, the financial impact of divorce. And we we know that that money's a big deal in divorce. Often it takes, and it should take backseat to some other considerations, certainly you know, the, your relationship, we know that there are these all these intangibles that often drive the divorce decision, uh, certainly where children are involved, uh, that, that has to outweigh monetary considerations. But at the same time, we're not naive as divorce lawyers. Cordell and Cordell's handled, I think we can say, hundreds of thousands of, of divorces over the decades. And we know that money, while it may not drive the bus, so to speak, it's definitely a hugely important factor that will determine the direction in which this bus, so to speak, will go uh, through the divorce process. So we want to acquaint you with the various components that you need to consider when you're thinking about divorce. Many of you don't, don't even consider the possibility of financial planning as it relates to divorce because you think, well, how can you anticipate you know, what these forces or these effects will be. And I grant you that that you can't do that with perfect precision. But the nature of financial planning is it's planning into the future. It's planning into the unknown. Just because there's a lot of uncertainty doesn't mean you throw up your hands and you charge forward into something as as momentous, as grave as the divorce process without at least considering the financial implications. So what we want to do is introduce you to the idea of, of the financial impact of divorce to, to show you the various dimensions in which uh, to think about what, what the, the impact will be on your future. We want to suggest a framework, too, for this analysis, a framework for thinking about how far that horizon should go and, and the, the various ways you might go about calculating or anticipating, projecting what these costs will be. And we also want to introduce you to kind of from an accounting perspective a little bit. This helps me in the sense that I have a, a, a CPA, but it's not necessary. Scott's done this hundreds of times, and, and of course our, our lawyers have as well, is we, we try to forecast what our clients' financial needs will be and what their financial capabilities will be if called upon to make payments. So these are huge decisions. And and don't leave it to your lawyer to be able to do that for you. Now, some conscientious lawyers will will undertake that, that task with their client on top of everything else they're doing in the divorce process, will call their attention to the need to do financial planning and have these discussions. I know you have that, that discussion routinely. It's almost right. part of your model right. that in the first if not the first session, the second session, you know, you're, you're undertaking this whole topic. Mm-hmm. And, and I can't, you can't count on your divorce lawyers to do that. So we want, we want to go ahead and introduce you how to do this sort of planning yourself and decide, 
you know, is this going to impact your decision? Some of you, it will, but some of you, you know, it's about deeper, more important things. And we understand that, you know, divorce is not entirely, and many would say it should not be at all a financial decision, but in some cases, it's a bigger factor than others. Yeah. And I think it's not necessarily the, the topics as we're going to go through in the next three part series that you know about. It's the topics that you don't know about that we want to talk about that have that pressure and the economics of divorce and and the financial considerations and trying to forecast the impact that they may have, not only on the case, but the decisions you're making, the lawyer you're choosing, and then the, the direction your case goes. I mean, I think all of those, and I think that's why it's important in our experience collectively, not just the two of us, but the entire firm at Cordell & Cordell, can identify those unknowns that many of them we're thinking about and some of the topics we'll talk about early on today, you probably know about. And some you probably have never heard about or never thought about when you're going through divorce. Yeah, yeah, it definitely that'll be true. I, I promise you that that uh, by watching this series, you'll learn a lot. It may or may not affect your decision relating to divorce, but it certainly will affect your planning. Um and, and I let's start by suggesting a little bit of a framework. Let's first talk about how do you think about the future? I mean, when you're asking what will be the financial impact on my financial well-being as a result of this decision, you need to have some horizon on which to look. Now, often what we will use with clients, and I think you introduced this concept, Scott, was to, to think about what is a retirement point in the future that you plan to retire. If you haven't thought a lot about that, if you're in your 30s, for example, then use an average retirement date. Use age 65, 60. It's not important the specific year to use as it is to have a point in the future to look to to say what has been the financial impact of this decision. That date is essential for you to be able to do any sort of measurement. Now, some of you will be so close to retirement that you decide, look, I can't use that date. I need to use a further date. You've had clients recently where this has come up. I have. We, we had this very you know, difficult conversation based upon going through all these items where the conclusion was the retirement's going to have to be put off. It's a retirement delayed uh, simply because of the economics as we were looking forward towards a potential settlement, potential trial, where we felt the court was going to land. And as we go through all of the things today, you'll understand perhaps where an individual like this made the decision, he was saying, look, I have to work another 10 years. Uh, and I get it. And he was comfortable with it. Now, it wasn't his first choice. But knowing that the end result was going to be a divorce, when we forecasted through affording certain property distributions and attorney's fees and all the things affording the asset division, what was going to happen and ultimate perhaps spousal support, uh, that conclusion was, I'm going to look past another five to eight years. Now, I just have to work, and it is what it is. And those are the elements where you're not thinking about it, as you introduced, perhaps divorce is emotional. It's uh, those decisions are made based upon emotion and not necessary logic and informed, intelligent decision-making in concert with a lawyer who practices exclusively in family law like we do. Yeah, and it's... Um it's different for all circumstances. We know that. And and as Scott was indicating, if you're older, you may not want to use that standard date unless you're determined that, look, come heck or high water, I'm going to do what's necessary to retire on this date. So whenever we're, we're 
introducing this framework, and we'll have some calculations uh, to, to guide you through this over the course of this series. I don't know whether we'll get them up for the first show, mm-hmm. but we will we'll provide you some uh, some formulas that you can use that'll be simple and straightforward. Um, some of you are, are familiar with the concept of future values. Um, all that means is figuring out what an interest rate will be you'll assign to what you think you'll earn on average into the future. But that's important because if you do know your horizon dates, and we mentioned one we think is the most important, is that ultimate date, which we'll call the the retirement date. But a couple other horizons may be important. One is any date at which there's a fundamental change in your expenses. Now, this can be related to the divorce or not, but we'll be dealing in our formula with changes that are related to the divorce. For example, if there are children, the emancipation date, that, that's like a stair step. If you want to imagine a point where you do an adjustment, well, when a stair step goes up, it means a sudden significant change in your calculations. But you have to include that in your in your formula in order to get end up with anything remotely accurate. And those are things you know generally. Um, if you're paying maintenance and there's some date at which you know you know that's going to conclude. Those are dates where when you're when you're looking at the farthest, the horizon on the furthest end, which we'll assume is your assumed retirement date, you want to also make adjustments, though, along the way for these changes in financial conditions. These will impact expenses uh, and, and as a result, your net income. And similarly, you have to, going all the way back then to the beginning of this calculation, on the front end, you know, it's kind of a painful thing when guys do that calculation and first realize that whatever they and their wife have accumulated, mm-hmm. sometimes in a marriage at 20, 25 yeah. years, you know, maybe you've managed to accumulate $5 million. Uh, maybe it's a million, maybe it's a half a million. Whatever it is, it's everything that you all have accumulated. And it's a bit of a, a shock when they discover that, generally speaking, mm-hmm. again, circumstances change in property distributions and divorce, but if you if you said to me, give me a rule of thumb, an experienced divorce lawyer is going to say that for most states, a good rule of thumb is approximately a 50-50 division. Right. I mean, it's not in stone, meaning sometimes a good divorce lawyer can sway it one way or the other based on marital misconduct or, or need or contribution to that pot of money. That's a big factor when one party is heavily... So we won't go into those details. That's not the purpose of, of, of this series. The purpose of this series is, is to be able to do some financial forecasting. But anyway, how many times have you been in that office when a client comes in not yep. knowing this and, and they say, well, you know, I'm the one who's earned all these assets and it's, it's not uncommon for our client to have contributed most of the assets, sometimes, literally sometimes all of it. Not to diminish the role of their homemaker wives. We all know that's that's critical and heroic, incidentally. But still, the guy who has, the person who has worked and accumulated that, when they go into their divorce lawyer, their divorce lawyer says, well, look, generally speaking, uh, let's start with the possibility you end up giving up half of what you have. So imagine you're in a race. And you've been in this race for 30, oh, let's say 20 years, yeah. 20 years. You've been in this race for 20 years and you see the the finish line. It's another 20 years <laughs> away. Right. You know, so you're excited. You're halfway there. And all of a sudden you have to go back to the, to the starting gate mm-hmm. and, and, or maybe a better way to say it is all of a sudden you're half as far as you thought you were. That's mm-hmm. probably a better way to say it. Right. You don't go all the way back to zero, but you go halfway back. Yeah. Now, I've had that conversation in, in every month. I'll have a client and just did 
started the business, built a home, blood, sweat, and tears. And and as you suggest, the conversation was, are you kidding me? And, and, and it is. And, it, and I try to preface it with, look, divorce means you're going to wind up with less than what you had. It is. Uh, yeah. I mean, Period. there has to be some form of division. It's right. never zero and 100%. But they're, I think they're so emotionally attached at that moment that, again, logic isn't making, isn't the forefront. The economics isn't the forefront. Understanding where I'll be in six months isn't right there. And until you, you have that realization, but all is not lost. I mean, that's the yeah. point is you're going to wind up with a division. Uh, we can protect assets. And that's the part of forecasting and then saying, okay, uh, here's where I think we should be. Here's what you'll need to work, as we mentioned earlier, uh, postponing retirement. And it may be, and maybe you have kids. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the conversation you're always going to have. And it is a tough one, especially if you have the the breadwinner and yeah. uh, whether you're, it's a business. Those are the difficult ones when you have oh. a business involved. Because, How do you divide it? But you can't leave no. each party and control half the business. Right. But she's done nothing to build it. You yeah. know, that's always the comment. And I get it. It's probably accurate other than, you know, certain things. But that's a hard one to deal with when you're when you're doing the economics of divorce. It's yours. It's personal. And, and here's another huge factor. The sense of fair play that we all feel and to some extent, which our culture and legal system has taught us is that when someone plays by the rules, when they keep their word, when they can abide by a contract they should be rewarded versus the party who breaches the contract, who doesn't keep their word, who is mm -hmm. uh, untruthful in other ways, disloyal in various ways. So if you're the, the party, and often our client is, not always, mm -hmm. but often our client is the party who's the victim of infidelity. Often mm -hmm. their wife has met someone else. I know you don't you don't believe some of you who don't have any experience in this field would say, no, 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 we've seen movies made and there's all this talk in our popular culture about, about guys leaving their wives for younger women. Yeah, that phenomenon happens, but it's frustrating mm -hmm. that that the other phenomenon, which is more numerous right. and based on our experience, certainly is the opposite where mm -hmm where wives in their 30s often will leave. And, of course, at that point, the children tend to be younger, and so mm -hmm. the wife wants primary custody of the kids, often maintenance, mm -hmm. and the better part of half the assets, right. if you know what I mean. So, yeah. so, so imagine the guy coming into this meeting we're talking about, and, and they're being told that, well, there will be a division of approximately 50%. We may be able to sway that. And incidentally, there could be various factors. Let me put on the side. Again, we're not going to get into those details. Mm -hmm. it, it may be that it's not 50% at all for other reasons. So I'm resisting the temptation to talk about those just because I want to keep on our topic, which is the fact that when, when you often are looking at a 50-50 division and you know that you have behaved correctly in the marriage and the other party has not what the law calls marital misconduct, that it may not affect the division at all. Mm -hmm. That's that. That often is the greatest shock to our clients right. because they naively and understandably come into the office believing that, oh, my wife has had an affair. I have evidence of it. You know, this means I'm going to get most of the assets. Uh, this will affect custody. You know, this will mean she wouldn't get the maintenance she might otherwise get. Mm -hmm. Not that the, uh, any of those things are always untrue, but sometimes all of them are untrue. Right. 
the laws change in a lot of states to where that cannot be marital misconduct of that nature, at least, cannot be considered in the division mm-hmm. of assets. That's a common It is. I, I've had a, a client ask me, so if I'm in a car accident, it's not my fault, but I have to pay 50% of all of the damages because I did nothing wrong. And that's, in, in essence, that's what a, family law is like. That's a good analogy. So, mm-hmm. so all we're saying here is that is that when if you do the calculations uh, correct, in order to do the calculations correctly, when we talk about these various milestones in the ultimate horizon, the ultimate horizon will assume for your calculations will be the the normal retirement age. You choose, 65, 60, you choose the date. But then you'll have the milestones along the way where you've got to adjust your calculations. I gave a few examples of those a few moments ago. Uh, but now you have to, what what we're saying. We're spending a little bit of time on the subject of potentially cutting in half what you're starting with. Is remember all the calculations with respect to those milestones and that ultimate horizon is going to be way off if you don't acknowledge on the front end where you're going to start. Mm-hmm. And that's probably from a financial standpoint, it's probably the single most critical component that you feed in correctly. Now, you may not know, you will not know on at, before you start a divorce, before the gavel goes down at the very end. You don't know precisely what you'll end up with, but, but your lawyer often can mm-hmm. predict with more precision that topic than perhaps the amount of maintenance you might pay or child support is yes. typically a formula where right. we, can, we can predict that with a lot of precision. Incidentally, Often our clients are receiving child support. Mm-hmm. So, you know, our goal for many of our clients is to have at least joint and often primary custody, depending on the situation at home. So in those cases, you get to add into your formula some additional income. But but we want you to come to terms with the fact that, as Scott mentioned earlier, divorce has financial implications. You're both not going to walk away with 100% of the mm-hmm. pie. Uh, the fact is, it's worse than that. Not only do you give up a percentage of the pie to each, but there are additional expenses. You've doubled, in many cases, some of the expenses that that you previously were able to to economically share. And furthermore, the income has not gone up between the two of you. So you imagine two working couples or one homemaker, unless she's going to work, mm-hmm. which today the courts typically want to see. But let's assume you have two people working. They had divorced. The income's the same, but the expenses are not. Mm-hmm. So you've divided a fixed pie of money. Now that money and the fixed income that accompanies it, that that showers it month to month, will now be attending to expenses that will be significantly higher. Talk about how expenses go up, Scott. No doubt. That's one of the things we've done in our seminars, 10 Stupidest Mistakes Guys Make. We talk about double household expenses. That is the one thing I think. It may be the last thing guys think about when they either leave the home and they haven't yet filed for divorce, but ultimately at the end of the divorce, it's what we call these duplicated fixed expenses, which are housing. We've got to secure two homes. Oftentimes our guys perhaps may live in an apartment now. They may not get all the furniture. The furniture with our wife has left and taken everything with them. These are the expenses that aren't accounted for at the beginning. You're not thinking about. And that's why when we talk about the economics and forecasting, we try to lend some predictability. You mentioned earlier that maintenance may be the one item. There are certain states where there is a formula. There is some predictability for us to calculate it like child support. Property division can tend lend itself to some predictability where we can spreadsheet it out uh, where where it gets a little bit 
where we're going to talk later in this series about liquidation of assets in order to try to uh, either get rid of maintenance or to justify division of property. That's where uh, we can walk and help with that predictability a little bit. But definitely the, the expenses that you don't think about as it relates to child support, aging children that go into college in certain states, Missouri being one, where the divorced parents are required to contribute to the college expenses of, of your kids, that comes as a shock to many. Yeah, it, it, um, it really, when you, if you were to stop the calculations at when the gavel goes down in divorce mm-hmm. or just, just go to that day, uh, it's often a pretty dismal thing, if uh, particularly if you're the person who's been contributing primarily to the assets. So if, if the story were over there financially, then you would find yourself with half your income potential, half your assets rather, the income being spread over many more expenses, two houses, two sets of furniture, mm-hmm. children's toys and other things. If they're spending, let's assume for the sake of discussion, they're half-half. So you're going to end up buying the things at both houses that would have been at one house. Yep. I mean, you can see all the inefficiencies, insurance, insuring vehicles, uh, filing tax returns, no longer it's married, it's single. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's on and on where there's just a lot of duplication, to mm-hmm. use your word. There's a lot of duplication. And and, and you, you look at now have half the assets and double the expenses, not quite double, but you see my point. And you could, if, if the story stopped there financially, you'd say, oh my gosh, this is a disaster. Right. It, again, if you're the person who has been contributing primarily, if it were, if the shoe were on the other foot, yeah, you still have the increased expenses incidentally, but, but suddenly one side may be enjoying income and control over assets and whatnot that they wouldn't otherwise have. But even though that person who will say was not contributing may feel richer, mm-hmm. they're not because previously you had this unified partnership with a net asset that was double and the ability to enjoy it in the future much more efficiently than each of you will enjoy each of your halves mm-hmm. going into the future individually. So you can't stop the analysis at that point. It, then you that it's important though that you get to that point accurately because remember that's the threshold that you're going to be doing your calculations from. You're going to start with that threshold and then move forward. This is my Belgian melon wall that just came into the studio. <laughs> uh, anyway, this is Scout. Scout, come here. Picking up on that, Joe, and I think what's really interesting it's like, as you talk about the inefficiencies. It's like being able to bulk buy goods and services. You can go to a Costco or a Sam's Club, but now you can't. Uh, double vacations. I was thinking about that. Oh, where you go on a vacation, everybody wants to go. Now, that one single vacation where the efficiency of a, a single room, that no longer exists. And it, it, there are so many factors that, you know, you think about it. I don't blame guys for not thinking about them. It's just through our collective experience, having done this for so long, and all of our attorneys, we have this list where we, we counsel people and guys about this. Yeah, and since we're unloading some, some uh, I guess, not unhappy news at this stage, for those of you who haven't really thought about it from a financial standpoint, you know, we have to mention attorney fees mm-hmm. too. That, that takes its toll on the front end. Attorney fees, they're hard to predict, but it's another huge expense that, again, when you're standing you know, on the other side of the gavel, meaning you've gotten the court's ruling or the divorce is final, whether it's a settlement or a trial, and you know uh, what the order is. If you just go to that point, you know, you know the lawyer's fees at that point. 
you know, it can be pretty discouraging. And the whole idea is for you to be able to know this stuff or at least predict this stuff on the front end. It, it's okay if you're off some. It's even mm-hmm. okay if you're off a significant amount. Uh, you're far better off than if you hadn't sat out and confronted these potentialities on the front end. But, you know, when, when you ask your lawyer to tell you how much you're going to spend in attorney fees, don't think they're trying to hide the ball from you when they say, it's really hard for me to project. Um, we have attorneys who have different philosophies on this subject. And there are two main philosophies. One is, and this is the philosophy that I'm fond of, is for me to try to project, mm-hmm. where I'll go out on a limb at the risk of you being angry at me at the end of the day, saying, you're way off. You told me it's going to be $5,000 and I've spent fifty. <laughs> so there's a danger in that. But I still... Uh, putting myself in your shoes, I, I know you want some idea, and you hate for somebody to say, "Gee, I have no idea." So you walk out, not not knowing whether it's going to be closer to five thousand or five hundred thousand, because you have no idea. So I try to help with that. But there, Scott, I don't know that you're an advocate. So I know you all you've taken this position. Some yeah. of the debates we've had, Cornell and Cornell is a big firm, so we regularly at retreats, partner retreats especially, yeah. we debate these things. And I know that you have been, you've taken the position at least that that it's a danger to try to tell clients what it's going to cost. It makes me a little uncomfortable just because there's so much unknown in between filing and and trial. And, and I always tell clients, how much you spend will be in large or largely dictated by who your spouse chooses as their attorney. And, I, and that's my mm-hmm. experience. I know there are very litigious attorneys. I know there are attorneys that will never settle. And, and that also drives the cost of divorce way up. Now, I've taken that position where I will say, here's what a trial will cost you. Preparation, days, you know, 10000 Here's what it's going to cost to lead up to the first settlement conference 5,000, whatever mm-hmm. that is. Now, and obviously, those are just you know numbers I've thrown out because every case is different. But what I think is unique and, and kind of in alignment with what you were suggesting is trying to ballpark that figure, which is, I'll give you the teaser, is to find out and call for more information. That is, we experimented with the cap fee program. Oh, yeah. Which I like. Whereas I, in fact, we just did one uh, last month with a client, and I said it was a modification. It's so not divorce. And I said, I'll tell you what. The cap fee program is, here's the maximum we'll charge you. If we go over, that's my problem. If we go under, you benefit. So everyone mm-hmm. wins here. Uh, it's my, you know, I want to make you happy. And so the cap fee program, if you want more information, certainly reach out to us. I think it's a unique, I've not heard anyone do it around the country. And it's really uh, something we started in COVID. And, and here, here, though, is one of the problems with, with our, you know, and this is a bit of a of a exit from our the main highway here in our discussion, but I think it's worth pausing here so that you can know when you talk to your lawyers. Uh, hopefully, it's a Cordell and Cordell lawyer, but but whoever it is, the often clients are reluctant to do flat fees because they always are so optimistic. So they're thinking that, well, gee, I know I'm going to be one of those. My wife and I, I think, will be that case that settles you know, before we get to serious trial prep, that's when the meter really goes up in terms of expense. That's when you're doing depositions, you're subpoenaing documents, you're seeing down your lawyers reading through documents. You can imagine with the meter running, how that, how when, when trial, serious trial prep starts, not to mention trial itself, that's when suddenly the expenses go really high very quickly. Uh, but up to that point, you know, there's there's sort of a meandering communications with the other side. There may be a couple of court dates for settlement discussions. 
And so if, if at those early stages there's a settlement, then, yeah, you, you spend maybe $5,000. I mean, some of you think, well, why isn't that $3,000? Mm-hmm. I just think those days, for most of our clients, it's not realistic. If you don't have many assets, you don't have any, any disputes relating to kids, maybe you're one of those unique people who will get your divorce done for less than $5,000. But uh, and I know there's lawyers that'll tell you that they'll mm-hmm. do it for less than five thousand. But, uh, but if you're if you're a middle class couple or 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 higher, and you have some disputes and you have kids, especially, um, it it just I, I caution I tell you to be leery of any lawyer yeah. that's telling you they're going to get it done for less than five thousand uh, dollars with a bow on it. Right. Yeah. It just that that's very difficult. But anyway, so often clients think, well, gee, I, I'll be we'll be the ones that'll get it done for say. 5,000 or six or seven or eight, which is possible, but often it doesn't happen that way. So if, if they get a flat fee saying, look, we'll do it for a flat fee of $25,000. Even when I say that number to you right now, I bet you're thinking, whoa. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it may very well be that your case is one of those where you end up spending 50. You should have done the 25. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't want to run all of you off uh, from, from de- especially from Cordell and Cordell. I don't mind if I run you off from other lawyers, but, but, but I just want to be frank with you. I'd rather you not hire us and be mad at another lawyer mm-hmm. than to hire us and then be mad at us and tell everybody you know that Cordell and Cordell charged you too much money. But I'm just preparing you for the fact that it could be that kind of money. Or, or let, let's do the reverse. Let's say we had a flat fee of $10,000. And and you're thinking, boy, I could. I think we're one of those that'll come in at five or six or seven. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that you end up at 20 or 25. You should have done the 10. The 10 was a great deal. So it's really hard, just so you know, we've worked with this at Cordell & Cordell for a number of years. It's been a hot Mm -hmm. topic in our planning at the most senior levels of the firm is to figure out how do we get off of this treadmill of of hourly billing. We don't like to do it. We know you don't like it. And it's very difficult for you to feel good about your legal expenses when you spend so much money, as often happens, in divorce. So if we're working on it, as Scott said, Mm -hmm. we do have a program in place where we will do it. But I just tell you, people don't fall over themselves to do those deals because they they keep thinking, we're going to be one of those who will settle very quickly. Mm-hmm. And the nature of a flat fee is that in order for it to work economically from any provider of services, it doesn't matter what, what the service is, in order for it to work economically, there have to be some occasions when the service provider comes out ahead in order to compensate for those many occasions when the service provider comes out way behind. Like that example I gave you where you paid 10000 and got twenty five. Well, there's got to be some occasions where where there's 5000 of services, our client paid ten in order for us to be able to stay in you know, stay in business or any service provider. That's the nature of flat fees, incidentally. Mm-hmm. Uh, flat fees have to be a two-way street for it to be viable uh, for any service provider. But my only point here, uh, while I, hopefully it's useful to you, the extent to which mm-hmm. we talked about fees here, we really want it to go into your math. It's a huge factor in calculating what, what your expenses will be. Um, sometimes, you know, call it, I don't know, uh, say it's $25,000 on each side of the table. That's not that unusual right. if you have argued. Now, if it's smooth, it's 5000 mm-hmm. a piece. I don't want to, to tell you guys that you're going to spend, you know, between the, you and your spouse, that, that your marital estate will be out 
30, 40, 50,000 dollars, that may be way higher than you'll be out. You may be out 10 or 15 or 20, but be prepared for the reality. The reality is divorce is often more than you think. Yeah. And don't let a lawyer lure you into hiring them by saying, "Yeah, we may be able to do this." They'll choose the words carefully typically, but the bottom line is you'll walk out of that office thinking, "Oh wow, I'm going to get this done mm-hmm. everything for $4,000." I'm just telling you that you should question that. No doubt. I, I would still clear. I would steer clear of that lawyer. And we're doing a segment on that topic as it, it, it kind of correlates to those lawyers who forcing settlement. It's the pandemic of family law where lawyers don't like to try cases. And they'll tell well, sure, I can do it for a couple thousand dollars. Well, they don't want to try the case. They oh. don't intend to try the case. They'll force you and they'll say, I know better. You take this deal. That is the worst case scenario. So, the, put aside the argument I was making why you don't want to to accept a deal where somebody's suggesting four thousand because it mm-hmm. may be in fact, you know, twenty. Well, there's something worse than that, <laughs> and that's that, that's what Scott was saying. Where where they say it's going to be four thousand, mm-hmm. and guess what? It is four thousand. <laughs> right. But but the way they did it, the way they did it, and this is all too common, is a lot of domestic relations lawyers don't want to try cases, mm-hmm. and. If you don't ask them, you don't know. So a good question to ask any divorce lawyer you talk to is, how many cases have you tried in the last, oh, 12 months? Actually tried, not showed up and had a two-hour hearing. Mm -hmm. And here's the reason you want them to have some experience, because number one, it means they're willing to. It means that if it's not going to be a situation where the other side, um, you know, calls their bluff and says, we demand this, we're going to trial, and they cave— because you don't mm-hmm. know they caved, because mm-hmm. you probably weren't in on that discussion. Yep. It was probably between the lawyers. It may have been in chambers with a judge. So you want to know that a lawyer is willing to try a case and that they have a reputation for trying a case, uh, which you'll know if they do try them. So in in that case, you know you really want a lawyer that if push comes to shove and, and, and you're going to lose 10% of your marital assets, let's say 10% of your marital assets is I don't know, Mm $100,000. So are you willing to pay an additional $10,000, $15,000 to go to trial to save the $100,000 that you would have gotten or the 50% of the $100,000? So there are things worse than spending money on lawyer fees. And And that's the forecasting that we've been talking about to bring us to the top is that exact analysis. Yeah. Is it worthy of trying it? Let's look at your property. What can we save reasonably? What are you going to spend? And this is probably a good way to wrap this up. We wanted to kind of give you a tour of the horizon, so to speak, to give you a sense of what this conversation is going to be like over the next three shows. And we'll go through it in a in a formatted way where we'll talk about individual components, expenses. We'll talk about maintenance, child mm-hmm. support, how to consider that in your analysis. We'll talk about a, a likely asset division. And then we'll talk about how you can calculate your recovery. Mm-hmm. Remember... The day after the judgment is really the day when you start rebuilding. And and if you plan correctly, you can be in a much better position. But you have to acknowledge the fact that you're going to slide back down that hill some. If nobody's told you that you're going to slide back down that hill some, then then you're about to have a rude awakening. Mm-hmm. And it's better to wake up before the gavel goes yep. down than after. So. So uh, we'll talk about these factors and a couple of more that mm-hmm. we've not touched on, but I think we've given you a flavor yep. of what this conversation is going to be. We want to equip you to be able to make a more informed decision about going forward in your voice. It may not affect the fact that you go forward, but it will affect how you plan for your future. Yep. 
Well, so I look Scott, forward to that conversation. We'll cover all those topics, and so stay tuned and tune in. So with that, we will wrap up this introductory show to our Cordell & Cordell series, Financial Forecasting for Divorce. See you next time. See you.